Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here. This is the 2020 Roger Federer season preview, part of our preseason Monday match analysis series where I go through the ATP year-end rankings and preview player by player individually their prospects for the 2020 season. If you haven't seen the Nadal preview, check it out. If you haven't seen the Djokovic preview, check it out. This is the Roger Federer preview. My next video will be 4 through 8. After that, I'll do 8 through 16. And uh, then I'll do some dark horses as well, some players outside the top 16 who I think could make some noise in 2020. Hello from Florida. That explains the unconventional background if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, I'm on vacation. Uh, so plenty of time to bang out these season previews before the the season starts, and I'm running out of time here, which is why I'm expediting the process by uh, bunching those players uh, four through eight, eight through sixteen, bunching those players into into one video. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone! Hope 2019 has treated you well. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into Roger Federer, and I want to start by talking about trajectory. Uh, which is the direction at which it appears a player's career is going. And it is often closely related to their age. So for older players, we tend to focus on, is their trajectory going down? For younger players, we tend to focus on, is their trajectory going up? For a player like Medvedev and Tsitsipas, good trajectory years in 2019, upward trajectory years last season. For players like Hachinov and Chorich, bad trajectory years. Then you look at the older end of the spectrum. Take a player like Marin Cilic. Take a player like Kevin Anderson. Bad trajectory years in 2019. Where does Roger Federer fit into that? I think pretty, pretty darn good. I think that Federer's trajectory is, is quite encouraging into his late 30s. Uh, and just taking a look at the 2019 season, I think that there's there's quite a lot of evidence that he got better in 2019. In fact, I'm 100% confident in saying confident in saying that his 2019 season was better than his 2018 season. And I know that the the one distinction here is that well, he he got the major title in 2018, he won the Australian Open. Uh, but to me, that's just a result. If I'm looking at level of play, if I'm looking at, if I'm analyzing Roger Federer's trajectory and and whether or not his age is starting to take a toll on him in a in a very tangible and and visible way in regards to how he's playing, 
then I think 2019 was an incredibly encouraging season. Here's his, uh, his career stats, and where I highlighted it in the yellow, these are all areas where Roger Federer was better in 2019 compared to 2018. He's got a higher percentage of sets won. He um, won a higher percentage of games. He won a higher percentage of service games, uh, just by 0.1%. He won a higher percentage of his second serve points. Second serve one percentage was nearly an entire percent higher. His return points one was also higher in 2019. Then if you look all the way on the left of this graphic, total matches. He played 64 matches in 2019 compared to just 59 in 2018. Uh, that's certainly not a sign of aging. In fact, this was the most matches Federer has played since 2015. Since 2015, when he played 72 matches, he's been well under that since. But uh, 64 matches is the most he's played in the last four seasons. That's not the sign of someone who's aging. But I, I, I think that none of that is entirely convincing. If you're still not convinced that Federer was better last season than he was two years ago, check out his resume against top 10 competition. And, and I like this. I think this is telling. Here he is in 2018 against top 10 opponents. He was four and six. His wins were against Chilich in that Australian Open final where I really don't think that Federer played all that well, although he was pretty clutch in the fifth set when he won 6-1. But I don't think that either Chilich nor Federer played so well. Good for Federer for coming out on top. But as you'll see, that was actually his strongest win of the entire season. He played Grigor Dimitrov in Rotterdam. And Dimitrov was really a fraudulent world number two at this point. His ranking would slip as the year progressed, but he beat Dimitrov. Then he lost one, two, three, four, five matches in a row against top 10 competition. It wasn't until the year-end finals in London that Federer got another top 10 win. He got it against Dominic Team, who was really not good on this surface yet. And he also got it against uh, Kevin Anderson, who... Really, the, the big three has, has always owned Kevin Anderson, but uh, Federer gets a straight set win over Anderson before he loses to Zverev at the Tour Finals. So he, he really didn't have a lot of good wins in 2018. Compare that to 2019. Obviously, two major signature wins last season. He was really 6-6 six and six in 2019 against top 10 competition. I took out the walkover against Nadal at Indian Wells. I also took out when Federer withdrew prior to his match against Tsitsipas in Rome. The, the two biggest wins, he, he beats Nadal at Wimbledon and he beats Djokovic at the Nitto ATP Finals. But he also beat Anderson and Isner in Miami. Those, neither of those are, are all too impressive. Uh, but uh, Nishikori at Wimbledon in the quarters, I think, was a pretty good win because Nishikori was playing great tennis on the grass. Uh, Tsitsipas in Basel was impressive. Tsitsipas at this time of the year was in tremendous form. 
He was coming off a title. He went on to win the ATP finals, went on to avenge that loss against Federer, beating him in, in London. But uh, that was a, a very impressive 6-4, 6-4 victory. So Federer had a, had a slew of wins that you can look at and, and you can say those were impressive wins against the best competition in the sport. Federer was better in 2019. And that fact alone should have should have him really, really encouraged about where he's at. Heading into the to a, a 2020 season where, um, what, he, he's going to turn, um, he'll turn 39, right? Let's see, 1981, 2019. Yeah, I think I have my math right. I can't do math. Um, that's extremely encouraging. Trajectory, trajectory, trajectory. That's what the focus should be if you're Roger Federer. And the, the stance that I've maintained when it comes to Federer winning a major title is this. As long as Federer is a top three player in the world, he will have a chance to add on to his 20 major titles. As long as that is true, he will have that opportunity. Once that isn't true, then we can start throwing out claims that Federer will never win a major title again. But as long as he's the third best player in the world, on fast courts, he could be the best player in the world. In 2019, he may have been the best player in the world on fast courts. I think that's a tough claim to make because Djokovic obviously won the two fast court slams. Djokovic won the Australian Open. He won Wimbledon. Uh, but... Um, yeah, so I, I don't think you can really make that claim unless you're unless you're looking at it through a Federer lens. But uh, but still, he he's right up there, and he scored wins over Djokovic and Nadal on some of the faster courts on tour, Wimbledon, ATP Finals, O2 Arena. Uh, so so it was really it was really encouraging for Federer overall, 2019. So that's important because the the years where what Federer has been able to avoid is there have been years where he's gone down, but he's continued to rebound. So 2018 was a year where he, he went down from 2017, but he didn't go down again. He went back up. In 2016, he got injured. He went down. He went back up. There have been a lot of examples of this. So the most important thing is he's not on that downward trajectory yet. Let's talk about why he was more effective in 2018. I think it comes down to, to how well he was playing under pressure. When Federer, there was, there was now, I feel like uh, uh, a long time, about a year, and I think it bled into 2019 where Federer was, was cracking. He was cracking under pressure. A lot of people equate experience to the ability to play under pressure. I've never seen that correlation. I've, uh, I think I've seen more young players handle pressure in a, in a really outstanding way uh, compared to, to how older players have handled pressure. I think that young players often handle pressure better. I don't think that nerve management gets better with age. I think it probably gets worse. And I think that Federer has to battle with the, the reality that every time he gets himself into a big moment, he has to wonder, how many more chances am I going to have here? How many more cracks at this am I going to get? 
So the moment gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And let's be honest, if you are a fan of Roger Federer and you're watching him, you feel that too. You feel that same emotion. And you better believe that just like Federer fans are, are wondering as they're watching Wimbledon, oh my God, is this the last time he's going to get this chance? You better believe that's in Federer's head too. And then the question is, how does it affect his tennis? And I think in 2018 and the beginning stages of 2019, clearly it was having an adverse effect on his tennis because match after match after match, Federer was not coming through. He was getting himself break points. He was giving himself opportunities and he wasn't taking them. The Kevin Anderson loss at Wimbledon countless opportunities to go set to go up um, or, or after going up two sets to love countless opportunities to close the match he can't do it and it snowballs and he loses the john millman match opportunities to go up two sets to love doesn't do it it snowballs and he loses the Pass match break points early in the second set four of them can't convert. 0 of 12 in that match on break points. It snowballs. He loses the match. Dominic Team, Indian Wells final. Break points early in the second set. Big moments. Federer got passive. Missed some forehands. Was safe on some returns. Didn't play the pressure moments well. But something changed for Federer. I think it was playing clay. I think it made him more match tough. I think it was great for his mentality. I think the repetition of going out there against an opponent in front of a big crowd and feeling those, those uh, match emotions that you cannot simulate in practice no matter how hard you try. Feeling those match nerves, playing you know, real competition without chatting at the changeovers, without having your coaches uh, talk, you know, a practice set, it, you cannot simulate a match, plain and simple. And Federer for two seasons in 2017, in 2018, went through these massive, went through a massive stretch of time where he was not playing competitive tennis. Adjusted that in 2019. He didn't say the reason was so that he could get more match tough. He said he just wanted to. That's all he said. But I'm going to make the leap that I think it made him more match tough because that's the only thing to me that feasibly explains the improvement that Roger Federer made in his match toughness that was fully on display at Wimbledon. He was a different man under pressure at Wimbledon. Um... And before I get to that and explain, you know, I'll, I'll back up that claim. But first, let's just go through his, his clay court season. He won nine matches on clay. That's nine matches where he, he feels the, the emotion that comes with walking out of the tunnel to start the match, not knowing how it's going to go. And that's nine times where he felt what it feels like to have a match point in a competitive tennis match and to win. 
It's nine matches. A win over Gaz K, Monfils, Souza, Chorich, Lorenzo Sinego, Oscar Ott, Kaspar Ruud, Leo Meyer, Stan Wawrinka at Roland Garros, a player who's beaten him at the French Open, a player who's had three wins over Federer on clay. Federer really, that's the only surface that Wawrinka has given Federer tons of trouble is clay. Federer gets a win over Wawrinka on clay. Plays a competitive match with Dominic Team in Madrid when when Team was really Team was looking like one of the the most I mean he was one of the one of the most stout competitors there was at that point in the clay court season coming off a of Barcelona title playing great tennis and and Federer dragged him into uh, into a third set and played a tight third set I think Federer drew confidence from that had no chance against Nadal. When, uh, when they played in the semis. But I, I don't think Federer minded that at all. Clearly he didn't. Because a month later, he play, he's playing Nadal in the Wimbledon semifinal. And first of all, he got off to a good start in that match. But second, he had all the opportunity in the world to choke that match away. All the opportunity in the world. Nadal saved four match points. Two of those match points, Nadal saved spectacularly, played unbelievable points as Federer was trying to serve this match out at 5-4, but Federer just held it together, hit some really good aggressive forehands, which is what you watch for, the aggression, uh, and, and he was able to, to come through those moments. Faced break point early in the fourth, in the fourth set, and on his back foot, hit a, an incredible forehand to save a break point against Nadal in that Wimbledon match. Down break point. That's the kind of tennis under pressure that we were not seeing from Federer in 2018 and the beginning stages of 2019. And then against Djokovic at Wimbledon, a lot of people will forget, uh, or a lot of people will remember rather, the, the two match points squandered. But what about how Federer responded after that? playing a ton of pressure points with razor-thin margins and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Djokovic all the way to a 12-all tiebreak. Federer did not crumble after losing those two match points. And uh, Djokovic played a, a really good tiebreak. So Federer just got better under pressure. Peaked at the right time physically, was match-tough, and it almost resulted in a Wimbledon victory for Roger Federer. So the number one thing that I feel like was a, a positive and encouraging sign for Federer was his ability to handle pressure. Uh, and I, I think he started getting much better because he was never going to win anything with the, mental, with, with the mental game that he took into 2019, that it needed to get better. So I really think playing clay helped. I think he needs to, to build a schedule for himself where he never forgets what it feels like to play matches in front of a crowd against an opponent in, in real match conditions. He, he can't forget that because it helps his match toughness. Even with his experience, even with his age, I think that's important. 
Right now, the 2020 schedule for Federer, it looks like he's going to play the French Open, but, but he hasn't committed to Rome or Madrid, which is interesting. Uh, he can always commit late, but I think Tokyo, because of Tokyo, he might be thinking that it might be too heavy a load to play a warm-up in addition to Roland Garros. But we'll have to see. I think, I think it's very important that he plays clay. I think it really helped him, and I think he needs to do it again in 2020. Um, let's talk about some more keys and, and tactically, by the way, I want to, let's go to tact. I'm trying to decide what the order is. First, I want to say this when Federer is not, when Federer is feeling the pressure, he is floating back his backhand return. He doesn't have the courage to hit over the backhand return. We saw that when he, in the loss to team. We saw that in the loss to Tsitsipas. So that's the telltale. Hit over the backhand return under pressure. Be aggressive with the backhand return. Also just tactically such an important shot. And it was firing at Wimbledon. Um, it was one of the big things at Wimbledon. The backhand return was so good. Second thing is the forehand. The forehand, by the way, the hand injury that he said that he suffered in 2018 during the grass court season. Maybe that was the reason, but whatever it was, Federer's forehand was wildly inconsistent and not nearly good enough for Federer to be successful. I mean, this is the key stat for Federer. He wins a lot of points in under three shots. 53.5% of rallies, one to three shots, Roger Federer wins. That's top 10 on the tour. Only Daniil Medvedev was better in the last in, in the last 52 matches, 43 of which were, were charted. It's kind of complicated, but the point is that that uh, Federer is is really strong in that respect. That's all because he still has the best forehand serve combination in men's tennis. Sometimes the volleys come into play as well, and his ability to uh, approach the net, have good feel for for his. Uh, for his net coverage and his volleys. So that'll always be there. That's still there for him, but that all comes down to the forehand and not making errors in bunches. When Federer's at his best, the forehand is money. The forehand was money all throughout Wimbledon. In the match against Nadal, it was incredible. The Wimbledon semifinal win, even in the final against Djokovic, it was really good. In the win against Djokovic at the ATP finals, Federer's forehand was money. In Basel, Federer's forehand was really, really impressive in the win over Stefanos Tsitsipas and the entire title run in, in Basel. Granted, only a 500, but uh, such is the case. So the forehand's really important. Hitting over the backhand return is really important. But ultimately, Federer's movement might be what separates what gives him the ability to beat the high-end competition and what does not allow him to beat the high-end competition. When he's suffering, when he's struggling, when he's losing to Grigor Dimitrov at the US Open, for example, uh, it all comes down to his ability to move explosively, to get himself in the right spot. When you see him making a ton of forehand errors, when you see him um, not when you see him stabbing at a lot of backhands going to 
kind of the defensive slice where maybe he could have gotten there in time and hit over the ball or at least hit a more aggressive, less floating slice. Uh, that all comes down to his movement. But the thing is for Federer, and this is the key, is to me, he has proven in 2019 that he still has the goods to play really great first strike tennis, which will give him the ability to have success on the faster courts on tour against 98% of opponents, maybe 99% of opponents. But against Djokovic, against Nadal, against Team, against Zverev, against Medvedev, he is going to need to win long rallies like he did against Nadal in the Wimbledon semifinals, so many of them. He's going to need to win those long rallies, uh, and he's going to need explosive movement. He's going to need his legs. What is very clear is that he cannot maintain the explosivity in his legs over long periods of time, over the course of the season, over the course of a week, two weeks, if he's playing many physical matches in a row. That's why he looked great against Djokovic and awful against Titipas. I don't think, I, he'll probably never win a Nitto ATP Finals again. It's too physical. I don't think he'll win a US Open ever again. It's too physical. What he can do is he can play short matches at Wimbledon with days of rest in between. He can win Wimbledon. He can play short matches at the Australian Open. Days of rest in between. He can win the Australian Open, but he needs to peak at the right time physically he needs to beat his opponents rather quickly. So the key for Federer, playing under pressure, uh, peaking physically at the right times, and some of that is going to be how quickly he's able to beat his opponents. Uh, and then even at the end, don't, don't think I'm just talking about the lead-up. Even when he's in the final, let's say, and he's playing Djokovic or Nadal or, or someone who's going to really challenge him. Perhaps Federer at this point, he's got to win in four, can't win in five. What did he do against Nadal? He lost the second set in the Wimbledon semifinal, 6-1. Went down a break, conserved his energy. Didn't, didn't, really, didn't really try to win that second set after he went down a break. Conserved his energy. Lost 6-1. That's the kind of thing he needs to do. That's going to be a challenge for Federer, but he's learning how to make the best of it. Um, so, so, so peaking physically, tactically, hitting over the backhand return. Um, I think the the serve, by the way, he's losing miles per hour, but he's placing it better and he's serving the higher percentage. Perfect. He hit lace. He he hit less aces last season, but. He won more points, or, or slightly lower on the, but but he made more first serves, I should say. Lower aces, higher percentage. Sure, that's fine. Hit your spots. Play higher percentage if you're going to lose miles per hour. Federer's dealing with that very well. Tactically, he's got a good read on the Nadal matchup on fast courts. He's got a good read on the Djokovic matchup. It's concerning that he doesn't have a handle on the team head-to-head, -head, the Zverev head-to-head, -head, um, or the Tsitsipas head-to-head. And uh, th that's a concern. But at the end of the day, 
Federer's going to have have a chance to compete at the Australian Open, compete at Wimbledon. I do think his ranking is going to slip in 2020 due to his schedule and due due to what I just mentioned, due to the fact that he doesn't really have a handle on some of those other head-to-heads. So I expect Federer's ranking to drop, but I don't think it'll matter because he need, the, the, the main idea is that he competes for big titles, and I think he'll continue to do that. That's my prediction for Federer in 2020. He'll be in the mix at, in Australia. He'll be in the mix at Wimbledon. And by the way, he should be in the mix in Tokyo for, for the Olympics. Uh, I'm not sure how the scheduling will work there, but as long as it's not too demanding, I think Federer will be in the mix there. However, I do expect a rankings drop um, for Roger Federer in 2020, as I predicted, by the way, last year, and I was wrong. So let's see if he proves me wrong again. Next video will be four through eight preview. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty <laughs> presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.